Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Today's episode is thanks to our Patreon members and our affiliates and partners. Head to patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition to join our membership or donate to the podcast and stay tuned to hear about some amazing deals and discounts from our partners, including Prevenix, Inside Tracker, Orgain, Practice Better, and Jen and Carrie. But for now, we're getting right to the show. Enjoy. Hi fans, thank you for joining me today. It's Lindsay Cortez, your host, and I'm here today with Christine Yu. Christine is an award-winning journalist whose work focuses on the intersection of sports, science, and women athletes. Her writing has appeared in Outside, The Washington Post, Time, Runner's World, and other publications. She's a lifelong athlete and yoga teacher who loves running, surfing, and skiing. She lives in Brooklyn, New York. Christine, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. And, you know, one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on is because of one of your most recent publications, your book Up to Speed, which was just released last spring, correct? Like March, March time, 2023? Yeah, in May. So May, May. Okay, great. Yes. And, but really you have a full career of (laughs) um, writing uh, as a journalist, like amazing articles and publications highlighting you know, women and female athletes. So we'll kind of dive into it all today. I'd love to just start in kind of getting to know you a little bit in your own journey as a female athlete. You're still active in, in many different sports. What what started your passion for sports? Yeah, it's funny because I wouldn't think that I come from a very like I don't come from a very sporty family. Let's just put it okay. in the sense that, you know, both my parents immigrated here from Hong Kong. They, you know, obviously were more interested in us studying and doing well in school. And yet both you know, me, my brother and sister, we all played sports kind of growing up. And, you know, ironically, my, you know, it's like my parents were the ones who introduced us to things like skiing at a pretty young age and that type of thing. But it's always been kind of the backdrop of my life. Like we had a pool growing up too. So it was like always in the water in the summer. And then I started playing sports. I want to say around fourth grade. And it was again, because I, I transferred schools and, you know, at this school, it, you had to play sports. It was just kind of a, like everyone had to do it. And so it never was this, it never seemed like a big deal. You know what I mean? In terms of like going out to try out for something or like your parents having to sign up for something. It was just there and kind of in the backdrop of, of my life. But it really just kind of instilled in me this love of movement, this love of like, frankly, hanging out with my friends and playing and like learning all of these obviously great lessons through sport. Yeah. So kind of played sports like a whole, I feel like 
every sport under the sun <laughs> growing yeah. up and then have just remained, you know, active. Like I said, like, it's just, it's a, I think a key part of me and just how I feel most myself in my life yeah. and in my body. Yeah. So when you in pursuing your academics and kind of went down the path of journalism, did you think at that time that you would, you know, become a, a writer with this, you know, passion of yours regarding sports? Or is it just something that really developed rather naturally? Or did you go into it with that intention? Yeah, it's a, a lot of happenstance. So I actually thought I was going to be a doctor. And that's yeah. what I studied in college and what the plan was. There was a kind of a big detour after college in the sense that I wasn't quite sure if that was really what I wanted to do. So I took a, you know, took a year off from school. I did like a, you know, some business consulting and actually ended up going back and getting a master's degree in public policy because I knew that kind of nonprofit work and kind of working for like some sort of greater good, greater mission was always really important to me. And so the journalism thing actually was a big pivot about 10 years ago when I was, okay, you know, at a certain point in my nonprofit career, I had also recently started a family and had, you know, again, kind of stepped back from work a little bit. And I'd started writing, I started blogging and it just reminded me how much I really loved telling stories and connecting yeah. with people in that way. Again, writing was never something that I really thought of as a potential career again, because like my parents' background and just kind of the things that they wanted us to do was very much like you can be a doctor, a lawyer, a business person, like very, you know, kind of conventional ideas around that. And so writing never came up for me. But yeah. when I started blogging, when I started doing this more, I started thinking about it. I was like, wait, <laughs> there's this whole field out there. Yeah. And maybe there's a way that I can combine my interests in, you know, at that time, I was thinking more specifically about like fitness and exercise and health writing. But maybe I could actually do that for work and for a job. And so that's, I started pitching some freelance articles and, you know, started getting some bites and, and writing about it more. But in the back of my mind, I knew I kind of was always, again, interested in how to connect women's health, women athletes with like more of the science piece of it again, because that's what I was interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So I was taking little notes because when you said that you started to, you know, kind of think, oh, maybe I'd write about like fitness, health, yeah. exercise, but that is different than what you're doing now, very. right? Like you are focusing on athletes and science and sport culture. And I just want to make this distinction. I'm not saying that people who care about fitness, exercise, and health yeah. are, are wrong or one's not better than another, but it is different because what I see in clients that I work with that are high level athletes or trying to become, you know, have that competitive edge and they're really, you know, maybe they're collegiate athletes or they're, you know, sponsored, but they're getting a lot of misinformation from more of those, those sources that are geared towards exercise, health, and fitness. Yeah. And there is a distinction. These are two different areas of science. They're two different areas of expertise, two different lifestyles. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's so easy for them to feel like they're overlapping, but they really shouldn't. Yeah. Do you agree or have any extra commentary on that? Yeah, no, it's, it is a really interesting kind of spectrum, if you will, right? Because yeah, it is a spectrum. Yes. Because yes. I, I mean, I grew up and, you know, in my 20s, definitely in this age of like, 
the heyday of like women's fitness magazines and, you know, the selfs and the shapes and women's health and like all of these things were so prominent, I think, in the culture in terms of thinking about health and fitness. And then as someone who was starting to come into journalism, right, those are the types of publications that I immediately thought of as like the big consumer publications, the ones that I should have on my bucket list. But what I think is interesting about those publications, right, it is a very specific mindset, if you will, right, a very Mm -hmm. kind of diet culture-y or it's gotten better, but at least, you know, back in, back in the heyday of like probably like early 2000s, you know, early 2010s and stuff, it was very, it was still very much like diet culture faced, um, focused, but as a journalist coming up, those were the opportunities, right? Those were the publications that were putting out content that had opportunities for freelance writers. And so for me, that was like the foot in the door. And so I've always like, as I've started writing more about this and as I've, you know, kind of developed my career, there was, has always been this tension between what kind of content I want to put out and how responsible that is, if you know what I mean? Because I did also, you know, like kind of earlier on in my career, I did write a lot of like nutrition articles, right? A lot of these, I don't know, like low carb breakfast recipe roundups, like those types of things, which, you know, I felt very conflicted about writing about, right? Because in my heart, that wasn't necessarily the message that I wanted to be like putting out there, but at the, but then like practically and financially, right? Like those were also the opportunities were, right? Yeah. And so it's been interesting as I've been able to kind of build up my clips and like kind of become, develop my expertise to be able to consciously make that decision to kind of move away from some of that and to focus more on kind of more science-based messages more messages that I feel like don't hopefully right don't play as much into this the whole diet culture yes like apparatus that's out there and starts to kind of question some of that yeah absolutely and and that's what I love is you know sometimes we do have a starting point I I can definitely resonate and and relate to you as a dietitian too where I know the work I do now I kind of think back to some things that I might have done or said 10 years ago and a little bit of cringe yeah. of like, oh, you know, and I kind of knew at that time, you know, even and even and I'm I'm going to drop some names and it's not it's not speaking poorly on them. But like, you know, I edited articles for like Livestrong.com or Runner's World, which generally I'm a big fan of, but they were still trending more. I was like, here I am with that sports dietitian credential. Mm-hmm. But this article was still trending towards that very diet culture-y like, oh, you know, kind of like let's focus on protein and and health and exercise and movement, which are all like good, yeah. generally good things. But I was like, ah, but this is not for the athlete that I'm trying, the female athlete that I'm trying to target. I would say it different. Yeah. Right. And I think similar to you too, is that was a starting point. And then you get a little financial freedom, <laughs> get a little bit of work on the internet to boost your name, and then you can break away and finally do what you really, really want to do. And you know, I don't think I ever crossed any true ethical yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. boundaries. You know, I really didn't. But it was kind of just like, oh, uh, you know, if this was my own company, my own blog, my I would have done it slightly differently. And I eventually did. Right. And, and that's exactly what you've morphed into as well. For sure. And I think it I mean, yeah. what you were saying before about, you know, the content and the information that your athletes are getting versus folks who 
may not be training on that same level. I, I feel like that's one of the hardest things is like figuring out who, not just who that audience is, but like how to, I, th- I feel like as, as people consume media and as someone myself too, like trying to figure out like, well, what is appropriate for me? Right. What is applicable to me? Like, is this yeah. like, should I be paying attention? Like, am I, you know, at this level or that level? And I think that's really hard because we do just create this like huge blanket of content that is just, you know, pushed out there constantly and, you know, pretty general, frankly. Well, and this is also a a little bit, you know, this overlaps with, with your recent book up to speed and just recognizing that you know, over the last 50 years, women have come so far in sport, you know, maybe we didn't have to distinguish, make those distinctions between levels, you know, 50 years ago, because women were just kind of starting to have opportunities. But now we, now we do have so many opportunities. And maybe there are a few different levels per se. Again, this is not to say that, you know, one level is better than another. But it's like, okay, this is time now to be specific about how we, the environment, the fueling, the resources that we have available to female athletes. We're not just this one category of like women exercisers anymore, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And yeah. And I think, and and so to kind of shift back to your book here, like I'd love to hear just in your own words, like your motivation behind digging into the resources and research of supporting women athletes and kind of your motivation behind writing up to speed? I think there were really two different things. So one felt a little bit more personal, right? So probably back in like 2013, 2014, I was at one of these magazine events and, you know, they had all these panels and there was a doctor talking about the female athlete triad. And so I had always heard, right, growing up, it's like, oh, losing your period is like a sign that you're training really hard or you're really fit had also just been personally very curious too about this connection between eating disorders, disordered eating and sport and trying to like, like undo those threats. Right. And trying to understand it a little bit better. But this was honestly the first time that I heard someone actually call it a thing and name it. Yeah. Plus hearing that all of these impacts that our hormones have on bone health too. Right. Especially during adolescence. And it made me frankly angry because it was this moment where I was like, I wish that I had this information. I feel like I've, like, I feel like we should know this information. You know, yeah. girls should know this information growing up about what is actually happening in their bodies and why that's important. Aside from just, you know, just divorcing the menstrual cycle and reproductive system as only about reproduction and fertility. Right. right? And it made me feel like I may have thought about things differently or, you know, just maybe that would have changed my own relationship with my body. Right. So that was one piece of it. Especially because when girls are getting their menstrual cycle, be it age 12 or 16, like being a woman and thinking about reproduction is the last thing. The last thing you care is the last thing you care about. And so it's important to understand, no, this is happening to your body for other reasons other important reasons that you actually do care about your strength, your bone health, your, you know, just like your ability to become a better athlete, your emotion regulation, you know, becomes better when you allow your body to develop. And those are all things that maybe a preteen or a teenager would care about. 
if we told them exactly and it just felt like we were withholding all of this information that would then enable girls and women to make more informed choices about their sport their health and all of these other factors so that was one piece of it just kind of being mad in like my what i was like mid 30s at that point i was like why am i learning about this now and then the other piece of it was from all the reporting that I had started to do, again, really feeling like we weren't getting anywhere. We kept resurfacing these issues around, you know, losing your period or, you know, eating disorders in sport or, you know, women get more ACL tears than men. But it would be kind of like this blip and then they'd go away and then there'd be another blip yeah. and then it would go away and kind of, you know, frustrated me that we weren't actually making progress in any of these areas. So I was curious as to what was underlying these different issues. Cause I was like, there has to be something, right. There has to be something that's kind of connecting all of this and really just wanting curious as like what that was, what was keeping us from really moving some of these issues forward and helping girls and women be healthier, frankly. Hey fans, I hope you are enjoying this conversation so far and we'll be back to it in just a moment. But first, I want to pause and let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Female Athlete System of Transformation, aka the fast track to overcome disordered eating and use food as fuel to perform at your highest level. The Female Athlete System of Transformation is my unique program and proven systems to guide female athletes to understanding and implementing the proper nutrition for their sport, life, and health. Myself and my team of registered sports dietitians work one-on-one with clients to address their unique needs and counsel them through the nutritional and behavioral changes needed. Many female athletes who resonate with disordered eating, mental guilt around food and body, relative energy deficiency in sport or female athlete triad, amenorrhea, repeat injuries due to negligent nutrition, or frankly, just a lack of knowledge and understanding on their fueling needs have seen incredible success in the fast track. After years of working as a sports RD, I've compiled the most effective ways for female athletes to learn nutrition, be supported, be challenged, and ultimately find their success with fueling as fast as possible. So don't wait another day. Get to your goals faster by joining the Female Athlete System of Transformation. Look in the show notes or head to the website to book a free call and learn more. Okay, now let's get you back to the conversation. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So that's what the book uncovers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 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 It's uncovering that. And it's, there's not one reason, right? There's a multitude of, of factors and evolution. And I think as, as people read the book, it'll, it'll be a lot that they, we can kind of see and feel in our own lives, but it's finally kind of stating it, you know, just like back at your experience in 2014 of like, you knew this thing was going on, but somebody finally named it. And I think that's really what your book does too, is it's finally sharing the the information that we do have and kind of the history of women's sports and science that, you know, has all kind of accumulated to this point. Yeah. And it was really trying, I was also hoping to highlight, you know, there's so many things that we do as women, active women, athletic women, performance-driven women to just be on the playing field, right. Or, you know, on the track or wherever it is that you're being active, like things that we don't even think about, like, 
having to, you know, smush our boobs down so that they don't move when we're active or like accepting Mm -hmm. that, oh, you might pee a little bit when you do jumping jacks, you know, after you, not even just after you have a baby, but like could happen at any point, right. That you, that you might be a little incontinent, but like, we don't talk about it or the things around like menstrual cycles, concerns about bleeding through your shorts or missing your cycle and, and all of these things that we're like, oh, okay. Like we just kind of accept it, but really trying to understand like, well, no, <laughs> like we don't just have to accept that, but also just putting again, like to your point about putting it on the page and hoping to have yeah. some people's experience reflected in those stories that I tried to tell of various different athletes throughout the book. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's I agree with you. There's certain things that we, we don't have to accept just because this is the way it has been doesn't mean it's the way it always has to be. And then there's other aspects where, like you said, of just writing it and, and stating it is so powerful too. to know, oh, I'm not the only one who pees a little bit yeah. when we do jumping jacks. Okay, yeah. cool. Like this is normal. Let's normalize it instead of being ashamed of it or embarrassed by it. Or even just feeling alone. Yeah. It. Like normalize it. Exactly. You know, it's happened to me plenty of times, plenty, plenty, plenty of times, plenty of times. Yeah. So is I think just like normalizing that will then also finding, is there a better way? Is mm-hmm. there a solution? Is there some science that can help us? Because that's the area that we're really, really just getting into. Now I'm curious just in your, and I don't, in your personal standpoint, like, is it to me, I feel that our science is is really just uncovering some of these things about female athletes. Just now we're living in an age where we're finally learning about the performance benefits throughout our menstrual cycle or how hormones affect us. But kind of your personal story of in 2014, how you got like angry and felt that like nobody told me this. Like, do you feel that like we did have some of this information and society kind of held us back from being comfortable sharing it sooner? I do in some respects, right? Because I think yeah, in the research that I did, there were women doctors and scientists who were doing this research back in the 1800s who were- And it just wasn't getting elevated. It wasn't. And because mm-hmm. it was largely, you know, men in charge of whether it's scientific societies, you know, the science industry or men in charge of the sporting like world that were kind of keeping those messages- down, right? And not and yeah. not letting those come through. I mean, because there was, I, w- I want to say like, I have to double check, but the, you know, these physicians in Germany, I believe that had done all this work showing this like, nope, like women can do all of these like physical activities, this exercise, strenuous exercise. It doesn't affect like reproductive capacity. It doesn't affect this or that to prove because there was all of this myth and dogma out there around the fact that like women's bodies were frail, right? We're not suited to do sports. So they went out to try to prove this, prove them wrong. But then they like actually did this research and the men had said, well, you're biased. Like, so we can't take your research seriously because you're women, you're biased in, in, in your interpretation of this, which again, is just like, Really? <laughs> but then are they biased in well, their research of their exactly. own? Exactly. Well, and the fact that like, you know, they didn't they don't even bother doing research yeah. in the women. So I think there there's that piece. And then there's also kind of more recently, you know, back in the like late eighties in the nineties, there was all this research coming out about female athlete triad, about, you know, the importance of nutrition and how that affects bone health, how that affects menstrual health. And yet 
we didn't like we knew about it but then again like that message was still lost like there's still even it was lost right like even in 2023 there's still a lot of folks out there who believe that losing your cycle is fine it's normal for athletic people i know and so like there was a lot of good research that was going on at that point really important research that i feel like could you know and it did shift a lot of the conversation but like had they been given a bigger platform or been able to elevate yeah. their message I feel like that would have changed a lot within the sphere of women's sports and like, especially around, you know, body image issues around, you know, eating disorders and disordered eating and really just understanding how harmful those, those things are. Right. And can be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you completely. And yeah, I think also thinking specifically about the research around female athlete triad. Yeah, that started in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Long time ago. But the yeah, but the message was lost. Yeah. Well, I think it's it was lost. I think it's partially, you know, I'd assume skewed. I'd assume part of it is like, you know, the whole thing like, oh, we don't like oh, it has to deal with women like we're not we don't care as much. But I do also think part of it, and some of the researchers I spoke to alluded to this, there was probably also a little bit of concern that if they drew attention to the fact that exercise could cause these issues, that it would almost set women back. Like we fought so Mm. hard to be able to get access to sport, to be able to play sport. And now here we are saying that sport might be actually harmful. So I think that there's that oh, that's yeah. tension there, right? Bec- between like this is happening, these these actual physiological things are happening in the body, but then what's the potential backlash of of actually publicizing this to the extent that we like we need to and want to, right? Okay. So I think that there's yeah. there is like a little bit of that push pull, like specifically in that instance when you know, like we just got <laughs> we just got access, we just started doing this, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, I don't know if you're seeing my facial expressions, light bulbs going off. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And like, so, but now finally we're at the point where the conversation is, nope, we, this can happen because we're not tailoring things to what is best for female athletes. You know, when, when you are in fueling appropriately for females, when you are resting appropriately, when you are in tune with your menstrual cycle, having the right supportive environment, like that's how women can excel in in sport to the highest of levels and not have these issues. But I think, yeah, you're right. Back in the 80s and 90s, it was almost like, oh, wait, sport is causing issues in menstrual cycle, bone dysfunction. And yeah. And um, so there's a professor at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, Anthony Hackney. He's like just phenomenal in this field, looking at kind of reproductive hormones and has been studying this since a really long time. <laughs> okay. But he, you know, he, and, when he and I talked, you know, he, the way he put it was that, you know, kind of those initial or that around the triad and kind of like those initial studies, it was really the question was how exercise affects the, re- the reproductive system, right? So looking at the, the impact of exercise on the reproductive system. But what he had said is like now, it's we're trying to like flip it around and the the focus is more like how the reproductive system in hormones specifically right affects exercise and performance right so it's it's a different type of question that we're asking that allows us to get 
a much broader scope of of you know these potential impacts, these potential effects. What really is going on here? But you know, yeah. like you said earlier, we're really just starting to ask the questions now. Yeah. Well, and I love that how simple it is to just kind of flip the question and it opens up a, a brand new world yeah. of research and looking at it in such a different light, you know, of, yeah, how, and, and that's what I like to share with my clients is the, how can your hormones help your performance? How can that change your game positively? How can that help your moods? And it's just, it's, it opens up a whole new world. Yeah. When you think of it that yeah. way. Yeah. And what I've been trying to, I think say to folks too, is it is really just about recognizing that hormones, menstrual cycles, breasts, like our unique pelvic floor, like all of these things, they're just part of our physiology, right? It's neither good nor bad. It is, it is what it is. It's just part of our bodies. And so why wouldn't we kind of pay attention to it? Right. Or at least consider it in, in the greater equation of whatever it is that you're trying to do. But again, to the point, to your point of like normalizing these things and just making it something that we understand are educated about so that we can make better decisions and just know, frankly, know our bodies a little bit better. Yeah. And, you know, as we're, as you know, on that topic of kind of like normalizing our bodies, just accepting it's neither good nor bad. It just is what it is. I think kind of across time and what your book focuses on as well is is how society has hyperfixated on the female body from a look standpoint, mm. maybe an attractiveness standpoint, a body image aesthetic standpoint, instead of like that form, function, and athletic standpoint as you know what it's doing. And I think for many of the many of the same reasons, and your book dives dives into it more that we've already talked about, but. It's kind of just like kind of these kind of archaic viewpoints of maybe just society and and ideas and ideals in mind as to what a woman should look like Mm -hmm. has made it hard to shift into that mindset of focusing on what our bodies do. Yeah. And, And I think that is different. I'm not saying men and male bodies don't have their own struggles as well. Everybody, everybody does. But. I think society has definitely had an overemphasis and overpressure on maybe what a female body, yeah, you know, should look like, and that makes it hard to focus on the the function of it. Well, there are so many expectations, right, in terms of like like your body needs to look a certain way to be feminine enough to be like acceptable and conventional and all of these things, which oftentimes, right, like does feed into this whole diet culture situation and can lead to restriction or you know whatever other issues. Mm -hmm. But then if you are someone who is athletic and especially who's performing at a high level of athleticism, like you're, you also need to feed your body to do what it needs to do. So it's, it's, so it feels like you're caught in this, like between a rock and a hard place, frankly, right. Mm -hmm. Between like, yeah, I need, I feel like I need to look a certain way and to, you know, have my body be this certain thing in order to be successful because we often equate that physique and that, you know, certain body composition or whatever with performance and with success, but yet we're not actually giving our bodies actually what it needs to to actually achieve that success, right? So one of the interesting things is the International Olympic Committee just released a new consensus statement on relative energy deficiency in sport, right? So this state of low energy availability when you're underfueling your body and can lead to all of these physiological and performance detriments. But 
in that new consensus statement, they have a specific, like specific guidelines around body composition. And they looked into it a little bit more because on the whole, I think the consensus statement recognizes the fact that it's a big cultural issue, right? Like that leads to this restriction that leads to this low energy availability state and just under fueling our bodies. But a big piece of that cultural piece is this like hyper focus on body composition and what bodies should look like. But they flat out say like, it is just one variable. It is not like disproportionately related to performance or success. It's not related to like early talent identification or all of these other things. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, say like it, it should be confidential medical information, right? This, this, Mm -hmm. you know, there's questions as to why coaches are messing with this. And then more specifically, the piece that really, I hope gets through is that like, there should be no body composition assessments for athletes under the age of 18, unless for a medical condition or reason. And I feel like that, like, if just that (laughs) happens, I feel like that would be a really good thing. If we can de-emphasize the importance of like what our bodies look like and what they should be, because yeah, everybody's different and it's not related to performance. It just feels like it is because that's what we visually see when we see athletes cross the finish line first or stand up on the podium and get an Olympic gold medal or whatever it is, right? That's, that's visually what we take in and what we then associate with what success looks like. Fans, I hope you are enjoying the conversation. We are going to take a quick pause so I can tell you about our partners. They are so valuable in providing you with amazing products and helping keep this podcast going. First, Prevenix. Thanks to their incredible Joint Health Plus product, my aches and pains from running and honestly being a new mom, as crazy as that sounds, have literally disappeared as I continue to push my body physically as an athlete and frankly, as I continue to age, I was shocked at the aches I was beginning to feel in my knees, wrists, ankles. It seemed like omega-3s, curcumin, nothing was really working. But after just one month of Joint Health Plus from Prevenix, I felt a drastic improvement. Honestly, this is something I rarely experience with supplements, but Prevenix uses quality ingredients backed by sound science. Their products are pharmaceutical grade with extensive testing for safety, quality, and purity. They offer other supplements, including probiotics, omega, immune health, and a multivitamin, which I also use daily. And the science behind their multi has changed my opinion on multivitamins altogether. I used to never recommend them or take them myself. And now I recommend and take Prevnex Multivitamin Mineral and Antioxidant Plus daily. I am so impressed with Prevnex and I can't wait for you to try. You can get 15% off your first order using the code RISEUP at checkout. The company also offers 100% money back guarantee within 30 days because they stand by their products. And so do I. Head to Prevnex.com, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and use the code RISEUP, one word at checkout for 15% off. For nutritional shakes and bars to fuel your body, head to Orgain.com and use the code RISEUP30 for 30% off your first order. Orgain's ready-to-drink nutritional shakes are my go-to to throw in my bag when I'm heading to the gym or to a trail to run so that when I'm done, I've got a recovery option to refuel and rehydrate with right away. Orgain makes nutrition and sports nutrition that works. 
For repeat customers, check the show notes for more. And again, first time customers, head to orgame.com and use the code RISEUP30, all caps. And last, ladies, moms, every mom is an athlete. That's why Jen and Carrie have designed the best nursing and pumping sports bras. I cannot rave about these enough. I hate that most maternity bras have clips and don't support being active, but Jen and Carrie get that because they're moms and athletes themselves. They want you to be a mom and an athlete. So their stylish and athletic high-impact bras allow you to crush your workout and then feed your baby with comfort and style. They have saved me during this time of my life, keeping up with sport and momming. Please go check them out at jenandcarry.com and use the code RISEUP10 for $10 off your order. You won't regret it. Again, jenandcarry.com, RISEUP, all caps, RISEUP10 for $10 off. Let's get back to the episode. Even though what how somebody else looks to be successful has really no correlation to how you need to look to be successful. Yeah. And the look is not what made them successful. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's not at all. It's just happens to be coinciding yeah. that, you know, like somebody might have a look to them. Yeah. But that doesn't that's not what made them successful. And there's no correlation to your success there as well. I agree with you as somebody who has performed many, many, many body composition tests on people and athletes. I have to say the universities that I worked at had pretty, at the time, fair policies where when we did body composition testing, it was considered confidential medical. It was not shared with the athlete nor with the coaches. It was only for us dietitians or the sport mm -hmm, physicians. Mm -hmm. So I felt like that was good. However, it still wasn't. <laughs> I have to, I have to say this. The fact that we did it at all was problematic. Yeah. yeah. The fact, it just the fact that once a year, sometimes twice a year, we felt that it was important to know your body composition already put the idea in an athlete's head that body composition is important. Yeah. They also, even though we didn't give them the numbers, started worrying internally. Thousand percent. Am I the yeah. same? Did I increase? Did I decrease? And then it was almost like without giving them the information, what do girls tend to do often? <laughs> we assume the worst. We think negatively and we have so many women have this inherent because of diet culture and society fear of weight gain. Mm -hmm. And it was like, even without telling them the number. The fact that they got tested in a year, yeah. it was more likely that they were going to manipulate their diet or training and become a little more restrictive out of that fear of potentially gaining. So even though, you know, again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, there's things I did in my past that I sometimes cringe at now. I just would not do it now. I don't work at a university full-time or part-time anymore because I do my own business, but I just wouldn't. I would just say that is not relevant to performance or yeah. nutrition. I really would. And yeah, it just, even though I felt like we did it within the best parameters at that time, I wouldn't do it anymore. For sure. Yeah. I'm re yeah. really, oh, I'm really hopeful kind of, especially given, you know, some of these allegations that have come out right recently yeah. for, at a couple of different colleges and just all this talk that we have, especially I think around like NCAA, like track and cross country teams and all of that, yes, that a lot has come we out. start to really rethink, you know, rethink in those practices because they are just, like you said, it's like, even within those best parameters, it is setting up that question in someone's head mm -hmm. 
And yeah, that can just, I mean, it seems like not a big deal, but like it just had, it can be so insidious and just have so many just like longer term repercussions that we don't recognize. Yeah. Or or at least like respect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you know, that that's where I now do all virtual consulting. And like, sometimes when a client starts working with me, they'll kind of ask, like, do you need to know my weight or my body comp? Or do I need to like check on the scale every two weeks or something, send it to you? And I'm just like, no, (laughs) that's not like, I can figure out how well you're fueling and feeling without that information. I don't need that information. Even as a dietitian, I don't need that information. I'll say one, I'll just share my own personal input. One time period where I might want that information may be in terms of injuries that require a long recovery period. And that is, again, not from a standpoint of did you gain or lose weight during injury, but more from a muscle standpoint and being ready to return to play. I know you've done a lot of research on ACL injuries in female athletes. And like that is an area where sometimes that can be a long, like nine month, you know, recovery process. And you think when you're getting back to the court or the field or the track to resume sport again, like, you do want to know it, it, where is my, my muscle at to be ready? I, you know, how quickly can I get back into things and maybe monitoring muscle composition could be helpful for sure. I don't know if that came up at all in your ACL research. Well, no, <laughs> for sure. Well, actually yeah. kind of ironically, I had ACL surgery two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, oh yeah. So that's rough. Yeah. My, my third, yeah. third one. So it's, it's been fun. Oh boy. But first one on my left side. But it is so speaking personally right now, right? It's like, it's, I injured myself back in February. So I haven't been running or like working out to the same degree as I have, as as I'm used to. And then, right. It's two weeks post-surgery, but I can, you know, feel all of those thoughts and feelings and like insecurities about like eating and, you know, movement, not moving and all of that stuff, but Mm -hmm. also reminding myself, right. It's like, well, actually I kind of need to eat if I want to, if I actually want to heal and like rebuild my muscle and all of this stuff. But to your point about the injury, I think there, I don't know if there's the studies have come out, but I know that there are folks that have been looking at kind of the relationship right between injury and athletic identity and eating disorders and disordered eating, because it is again, that period of time, like you said, when you are, you are out of your sport for a significant period of time, you're out of your, like mostly like your social circle and support circle. It brings in a lot of questions. And then it is this period of time where your activity is reduced and it's natural, I guess, to, then start to think about, you know, your body, your weight and be concerned about that. So mm-hmm. there's, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, it seems like there's a, there, there is a, a relationship there. I can't remember if the studies have come out around that yet, but. Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, see that in, and like you said, even you, like somebody who's so passionate and probably so, so knowledgeable about these topics and, and really do a good job at taking care of yourself. Those thoughts can still creep in even to the strongest and most resilient and most knowledgeable of these topics, you know? And so I think that's why we want to get this information out to more people. Yeah. So that somebody who maybe, you know, somebody can prepare themselves and, and be able to, when that thought creeps in, like just allow it to also like just creep back yeah, out. Exactly. It just find you know? the exit. Yeah. It, it just popped in and you can just find the exit now and, um, and get yourself, you know, because of the knowledge that you have, you know, on a better path of focusing on fueling to recover and fueling for performance. And again, that question, it's not, 
I just love flipping the script, kind of going back to the hormone question. It's not what does sport do to your hormones, but what can hormones do for your sport? Yeah. And the same thing, not, not will this, what will this injury do to my body and more, what can my body do to help this injury? Yeah. yeah. You know, flip that question around. Yeah. It's so much more powerful mm-hmm. that way. So much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, you are just such uh, a gift, I think, <laughs> to to so many girls and women and reading just even your your articles that have been published, you know, shorter articles, longer length things, this book. It's really, I think this is this is just such a, I'm just I'm I'm fired up right now, Christine. This is just such an exciting time, I think. You know, we women have, as your book explains, women have come so far in sport over the last 50 years, but now we we it's a turning period yeah. once again, a turning point to shift the conversation in a new way. And really, really get over the hump of those kind of archaic thoughts, attitudes, conceptual societal pressures of that, you know, call it the patriarchy, whatever (laughs) you want to call it, that kind of, you know, may have been holding female athletes, women in general, and sport and science research behind. And now it's like, nope, we're going to push forward and ask ask the questions that weren't asked, you know, 10, 20 years ago. I mean, and empower us with it. It's exciting to think about, right? Like if you think about all the amazing things that women and women athletes have done over these last 50 years or so, it's pretty phenomenal, right? Kind of given all the barriers that have been thrown in the way. So it's like, it is really exciting to think about like, well, what is possible, right? Like what is possible when we do ask the questions, when we know a little bit more, we know more like nuanced information about how it may or may not impact things. And when we give women and girls like this actual support that they need to be healthy and happy in whatever it is that their athletic pursuit is at whatever level of sport, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, little things like girls staying in sport longer, you know, not dropping out at puberty, um, more female athletes making it to the collegiate level. What I'm inspired by, and this is also personal because I'm in a phase of my life of I've, I've just had two babies. So I'm in that life phase right now. And I'm so inspired by the women who have mm. had babies and are still competing at a high level, even an elite level. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a whole new world that we were not in 20 years ago. Yeah, it is we phenomenal. And now we are. And kind of older women too, right? Master's level who are yes. just killing it out there and- we never gave women that opportunity before. We just assumed that like your athletic life is done as soon as you have a baby, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, that lights me up because that's my personal phase of life. But it's so, it's it's awesome to give the younger girls more and more opportunities and see it all the way through yeah. the entire lifespan. You know, you are, you can be a female athlete for life now. For sure. And we just need to keep pushing it. And again, Christine, it's thanks to people like you, who are asking those tough questions, highlighting the people who have answers in research and, and publishing it and getting it out there. So thank you so much for your work. Oh, no, thank you. I, beautiful. I appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, that's really what I hoped for this book is that it just continues to like to start and continue these conversations about mm-hmm. women's bodies and women's health, what it actually really takes to support girls and women in sport, what changes we need to make along with just hopefully in one place providing like, you know, some decent information, right? Just about your body oh, and yeah. stuff like that. Fully. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's a great place to start for many people, you know, of of learning about their body and so much science is dropped in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christine, thank you so much for sharing this with our audience and so excited to continue to follow your work and we'll include links for the book in the show notes as well. Great. For people to to go out and and get it in their hands and start reading. Yeah, no, thank you so much for, again, for inviting me. Like, this has been a super fun conversation. I'm glad we had a chance to do this. Me too. Amazing. And take care of your (laughs) knee. Thank you. As you heal. Oh my goodness. Sorry. I lost my mind there for a moment. I ask all of my guests the same questions at the end of each podcast episode. Are you ready to play along? Yes. Yes. Okay. This is how I end every episode. And I almost, I almost ended without doing it. That's crazy. Okay. If there is one food you could eat every single day for the rest of your life and never get sick of it, what would it be? Um, honestly, right now, I think it would be pizza. Yes. Well, and you live in Brooklyn. Yeah. There's a lot of really good pizza around. (laughs) There's a lot of really good pizza there. Yeah. My sister lived in Brooklyn for many, many years and, uh, yeah, lots of good pizza there. Got to visit her a lot. Amazing. What is your favorite sport to participate in yourself right now? Well, barring injury. Yes. Barring injury. It would be, (laughs) it would be running. I think because that's, like I said, when I feel most grounded in my own body, I think. And it really just slows down all the craziness in my Mm. brain and the worrying and all of that. So yeah. So it's a physical thing, but a mental thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now how about as a spectator, what's your favorite sport to watch and cheer on? Also really difficult question. So living in Brooklyn and like literally on the New York city marathon course, Mm -hmm. like marathon day is my favorite day of the year. My kids think I'm crazy. They like, it's a holiday. It is a holiday. It's like, it's so fun. I drag them out there. They like humor me for a while, (laughs) but that is definitely like one of my favorite things to do. And then I also will have to say like watching my kids baseball games. Yeah. They hate having me out in the stands because I can get obnoxiously loud sometimes. <laughs> and so like, shh, stop. I'm like, what do you want? Like, if you want me here, this is what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure deep down they appreciate it, even though they're embarrassed to admit it. But <laughs> yes. I actually, I agree with you as far as like the marathons go. I'm like, I actually, I definitely like being a spectator of marathons way more than I like oh, yes. running them. Way yes. more. Like, way more. <laughs> it is, they especially the big yeah, one, yeah, New yeah. York City, Boston. I mean, I, I had the, I grew up in Massachusetts, so I got to watch Boston many, many years. I don't live there now though, but it's like, yeah, that that is a special day to watch it. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's fantastic. It's super fun. Okay. My final question is going to be very, I think, hard for you to answer. Maybe not because of all the people you've interviewed and talked to in your work. But if there's one female athlete out there that you could give a shout out to for being an inspiration or role model for any reason, who would that be and why? That is also a really hard question. So I think the first person that comes to mind is probably Brianna Scurry. So she was on the US women's national team, she was a goalie. She won a couple World Cups, gold medals. She was the one in 1999 who, you know, made the save during the penalty kickouts against China that then set up Brandy Chastain to make her penalty kick and win the World Cup. 
So growing up, like I remember watching that and like just the excitement around the women's national team around that time. So being able to chat with her was a, like, I was totally starstruck and had a hard time like conducting the interview, but she, you know, in, I talk about her in the book and, you know, she suffered a concussion, a career ending concussion. But so what she is, you know, I really admire her and the work that she's done to raise awareness around concussion in soccer, concussion in women, and really trying to make changes there. And then just in general, right? Like advocating for girls and women in sport and just a better system. Yeah. Amazing. So to, to Brianna Scurry advocating for more women, having the discussions about yeah. concussions and also just making that amazing save. Yeah, that, that save was amazing. We'll always yes. remember. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, Christine, thank you again so much for your time today and and answering all of these questions, including these fun ones at the end. Yeah, no, thank you. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, if you are a true fan of female athlete nutrition, then I would love if you could support our podcast by spreading the word, share review on your listening channel, give us five stars. It really helps get the word out and get the show more views to positively impact others. Also, you can support the podcast by joining our Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition to consider a donation or even better, join our membership where you get extra monthly content and perks. We don't want you to simply listen alone. We want you to be a part of a community and a movement of fierce, fit, and fueled female athletes. So patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition is where you can do exactly that. Learn more and join a huge thanks to our affiliates and partners as well. Once again, Prevenix, Inside Tracker, Orgain, Practice Better, Jen and Carrie, please go check them out and their links in the show notes where you can get deals and discounts. Last, be sure that you do more than just listen. If you need help with fueling, it's time to take action. Head to my website to learn more. You can either book a free call with me to learn more about our coaching programs and how we can work directly with you, whether it's the fast track or otherwise, or you can take our online self-study course, Female Athlete Nutrition. You can literally sign up and gain access right now. You can explore our downloadable products, including the Red S Recovery Guide, High Iron Fueling Guide. Or if you are a coach of a team, check out our brand new coaches toolkit for teams. You can also just learn more. We have a blog, a Red S quiz to see if Red S is affecting you. If you need help, I want you to get help fast. Too many girls and athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer. You can rise up with the power of nutrition, take action today in any of these avenues, and become fierce, fit, and fueled. Links in the show notes, and we'll see you next time.